Good morning. Good to be with you. The scuttlebutt that I hear ringing around the church this morning is that this is my last sermon. It can be if you want it to be. I do need to take some time off, but I'm sure that I'll get back for a for real farewell sermon. But you know, if this was my farewell sermon to you, I can't think of a better topic to preach on. The love of Jesus for a woman of ill repute who had wasted her life away. Part of a nation who hated the Jews. And he was tired on top of it. And he went out of his way to go and bring the gospel message to just one more person. With that, as you think through this sermon message about who your Samaritan woman is going to be this week, let's pray this prayer together. Give me a caring heart, O Lord, to love and seek the lost. Overcome my fear. Grant me courage to share my hope of salvation with those who have no hope. Make me faithful in my daily life so that all I say and all I do may always and only glorify you, my Lord and my Savior and my God. Let all of God's people say amen. It was probably, oh, I don't know, a long time ago, but it made an impression, so I jotted it down in my little sermon illustration notebook that I keep. It was probably about seven or eight years ago, and I was sitting on a Sunday evening watching TVO, and there was this rabbi that he was expounding upon his religion. And he said this, um, as soon as you say the word God, <coughs> you have absolutely no idea what you are saying. The reality of God is so far different from our experience. <coughs> Excuse me. The reality of God is so far out of our context that as soon as you say the word God, you are entering into a truth, you are entering into a concept, <coughs> you are entering into a concept that is mentally, physically, and spiritually impossible for you to comprehend. In other words, what is this rabbi saying? He's saying that God is unknowable by human beings. Now, in light of what you can remember, what you just heard about the gospel lesson, I know it was a little lengthy, but what you heard Pastor Cuck read to you about Jesus going to the woman at the well at Sychar, would you agree with this rabbi based upon the gospel lesson? No, of course you couldn't. And you're, you're going to be in good company because Jesus wholeheartedly has nothing to, wants nothing to do with this kind of worldview that this rabbi um, demonstrates here. He says that God is very knowable. In fact, some of his last words reinforce that knowable nature of God. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What does that statement alone say about Jesus? <laughs> I'm the boss of the universe, and that power was given to me by my Father. In other words, I'm God, 
right? And you guys have been hanging with me for the last three years. And I'm just getting ready to go back to my father, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. But then he goes on. So he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So in other words, he's God and he's knowable. But then he gives this assignment to his disciples. His disciples of all ages. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And here, here is maybe the best part for those of you who are a little timid, a little shy, and don't really like to get out of your skin too far. What does he say to you? And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. So according to Jesus here, God is not just knowable, but he's also giving us this assignment to make him known to other people, right? He's encouraging us here, especially in this gospel lesson before us, to imitate him. To imitate him in all of the worldly situations that he finds himself in against a hostile person, against a woman who he's not even supposed to be talking to. And he's tired on top of it. And he's hungry because the lads are in town getting him some food. But he's basically encouraging us, in spite of all of those odds that affect your brain and your heart and your willingness to want to carry out his, his admonition to us, he says, imitate me. Reveal the true God, the one true God, at the well of salvation. Now, if you look at Jesus and what he does here with this Samaritan woman, you can basically break it down into three easy steps. So you're going to notice a few things that he does here as he encounters this Samaritan woman. The first thing is that he went. You notice that he has been walking all morning. The sixth hour is noon. The gospel lesson told you that. He's been walking probably about 20, 23 miles. So he's had a good hike in already and he's tired. You notice that he's not being found in the gospel lesson saying that he's sitting at his desk translating Hebrew into Aramaic to make the scriptures more understandable for the Aramaic-speaking people or translating the Hebrew text into Greek or into French or into Gaul. No, he's out with the people. He's out with human beings. He went to find people where they were. And in this case, it is to find a woman because verse 4, the verse right before our gospel lesson starts, tells us that he, it was necessary for him to go to Samaria. Jews didn't go to Samaria. They went around Samaria. <laughs> right? You didn't, you didn't want to go to Samaria with those half-breeds. He's entering into a country that for, it is filled with half-breed people who think they have the one true religion, who have a little bit of God-Yahweh religion combined with other religions, Canaanite religions. So it's filled with a bunch of half-breeds, a people who have hated, hated, despised, loathed the Jews for 400 years. What is that? Three, four times longer than the country of Canada has existed? That's a long time. But what do you see about Jesus? He went. All right, the other thing that you see besides his need to want to go and meet people, and particularly this woman, is he reaches out even though he is tired. 
He uses this opportunity to bring the word of life, which the Bible, the gospel, but he, here in this text, he refers to it as living water. He brings it to a person, a woman, who seems to be a little bit too pickled in a life of depravity. She has enjoyed her intimacy probably abundantly, probably more than the culture would support, definitely more than God would support, right? And you would look at her and you would think, he's God. Doesn't he know that this is probably not worth his while to waste his time on a woman like this? Yeah? Now, let me just ask you a question. Here's a reality check for yourself. If you were tired and you were hungry and you found yourself on enemy turf, would you be inclined to want to reach out with the gospel to an individual like this? Be honest with yourself. Chances are you're going to say, I think I'm going to save this gospel opportunity for another time. Aren't you? Yeah. Well, check that thought at the door and let's keep moving on. Because you're going to look at the person and you're going to kind of go, well, I'm not sure that they're worth my time. Or I'm not sure that they're really going to understand. And it's not because you're an English speaker and they're a francophone. Right? We're not talking that. I just don't think that they're going to get it. Or she already has a belief system of her own. Why would I want to mess with that? I mean, she's a devout going Muslim, for heaven's sakes. She does have a devout belief system of her own. That Muslim woman. That Muslim man. Right? But is it true? Is it worshiping the true God? And if not, everything you have to say, you have to, say to them is not death coming out of your mouth, but life. Life. The other thing that you notice about Jesus, other than the fact that he doesn't sit in his office, he gets out with people, he wants to get out and reach out to human beings where they're at, meet them on their turf, right? The other thing that you notice about Jesus is that he's very relational, right? He's not necessarily a big slap him on the back buddy, although I'm sure there were moments like that. But what I mean is, Find me a place in the Bible where Jesus walked up to somebody and said, Hello, I'm the Messiah. I think it's time for you to repent because the kingdom of God is here. No, he doesn't deal with people like that. What does he do? He shows his care. He shows his concern for them. And then he reveals himself to them and lets them know who he is. I think there's a big takeaway for us there. Sometimes I think we need to just jump right in with the gospel. Sometimes what's necessary is, as we're gonna see in his second step, a little preaching of the law. Sometimes people need to be told why they need a savior in the first place. But before you can even tell a person why they need a savior in the first place, that's a preaching of the law. And then an opportunity to preach the gospel, who Jesus is, they don't just pat you on the head and go, oh, that's a nice belief system. I'm happy for you, right? You have to have some sort of a relationship established with this human being, right? And you can say, well, he's God. He knew how to establish this relationship. You're a child of God. <laughs> I know, I'm taking away all your excuses this morning, aren't I? You're a child of God. By virtue of being a child of God, who's living inside of you? 
the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is living inside of you and he has promised to give you the words to say when those words need to be spoken, have you ever in your entire life ever known God the Holy Spirit to break a promise to you? Hmm, no. He hasn't. So he goes out and he's relational to people. Today Jesus is relational by using what? Chit-chat. You know chit-chat. It's small talk. It's inconsequential small talk that you pray is going to lead to something else. And what Jesus does is he uses this small talk that turns into something that absolutely explodes. And it turns into something that really matters. Not just for this Samaritan woman, but it's going to turn out to affect the entire town that she comes from. All right, the second thing that Jesus did was to reveal her need for a savior by revealing her sin. This is not always the easiest part to do, but it's a heck of a lot easier to do when you have a relationship established with someone, when you know them and they know you and they can trust the words coming out of your mouth. What Jesus did here is he started out this revealing of her need for a savior by offering her living water. And she thought that he was looking for, he had some sort of secret source apart from Jacob's well. And she wanted a part of this. The truth of the matter is, she didn't quite get it. She didn't quite understand what this living water really was, the way Jesus was speaking about it. So what did Jesus do? He showed her her need by saying this. Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man that you're with now, he's not your husband either. Don't. Smack. She's thinking to herself, now this is probably where her brain is starting to go, who is this guy? And how does he know this information? And this is what led her to believe that he's probably more than just a prophet, more than just her, her heir Jacob who left the well, the well to them. The symptoms of spiritual dehydration are obvious in this woman's life, right? She has lived for herself. She has followed her inner cravings. She has done what she needed maybe to survive, even though it wasn't God-pleasing. She has done what she has desired because it is pleasurable and fun, right? But none of it is a God-pleasing way of life. And now she's got this living. She's going on number six, who's sort of a half-husband, right? All right. In his grace and his mercy, God withholds his wrath from us. And he basically bends down using his scripture or using a friend or using a sermon message to bow down next to our ears and basically say, you know, Skip, you know, Joe, you know, Jane, you're a little slow in catching on. But the truth of the matter is, how can we catch on? We are the product of a mixed race, just like this Samaritan woman. We are born into this world with a knowledge of God, a natural knowledge of God. Yes, we have a conscience that we were born with, God implanted it, that tells us that there is a God. 
And that conscience is ratified and certified by the fact that there's also nature out there that just screams out, saying, I was created by somebody a whole lot bigger than you. And this is supposed to lead us. The problem is, is that's not enough to reveal to us who the one true God really is. Right? The other half of being that mixed race that we're born into this world is, is that we're born without the image of God. We're born without holiness and righteousness like our first parents were. That's a big problem. That alone right there, right from the get-go, should incite God's wrath. But it doesn't. The other thing that we have in comparison with this woman, we worship a corrupt religion. Well, we don't now. But when we first came into this world, we certainly did. And you have friends and relatives who worship a corrupt religion, a corrupt religion of following their inner cravings. Where will my desire bring me today, Pinky? How can I rule the world and, control and dominate the world today, Pinky? You know, it just it all becomes this self-centered, narcissistic, all-about-me-created universe. It's all about how I can pleasure myself and take care of myself and worry about my security. And the only reason that we have a spouse is not necessarily because we love them so much that they supply to that narcissism. That's their mixed religion. The other thing that we have in common with this woman, we satisfy, we try to satisfy this unquenchable thirst that we have for what we call real life. I'm going to live life to the fullest. I'm going to experience everything that this world has to offer me. Then I can die a satisfied man or a satisfied woman. We follow these inner cravings. And where do these inner cravings lead? They lead to the desert, which is the exact opposite direction of where you're going to find living water. The whole purpose of God through his word, through a friend, through a relative, through a preacher in a sermon or in a Bible class, bending down next to our ear and saying, hey, Skip, you're a little slow on catching on, is basically what he's saying to us. Look, guys, at best, at best, your earthly wells of delight, your earthly wells of your desire and your inner cravings are just like those mirages out in the desert. They are only passing illusions. There is no life out there. There is no living water out there. There is no forgiveness of sins out there. There's no Jesus out there. There's no eternal life out there. There's only death out there. So you're in this relationship now with your Samaritan woman and you're at this point in your conversation, in your relationship with them. What do you do now? What do you say to them? Where do you go? What's your next step? If you don't remember, look up the, look up the gospel lesson in John chapter 4 and Refresh your memory from how, what Jesus did now with the Samaritan woman. He led her to living water. He gave her living water to drink. 
You see, the interesting analogy that Jesus makes here is that the thing that is, he, he uses water. It's something that every single human being needs. But it's also, for all practical purposes, it's in general supply. It's easily accessible. But he leads her to this living water because he knows what? He knows that our hearts are not at rest until they find their rest in him. So what does he do? Well, exactly what is this living water? Well, it's a message. And the woman finally kind of caught on, the Samaritan woman. She said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming, she said to Jesus. And Jesus looks at her in the most beautiful way that you could end this gospel lesson. And he says to her, I who speak to you am he. Our hearts are not at rest until they find their rest in him. This living water is Jesus. Yes, it is eternal life, but how can you separate eternal life from Jesus? How can you separate the living word from Jesus? How can you separate those three? They, they're all the same thing. And so the only place that you can find eternal life is from the source of eternal life. God himself. And this Jesus is God himself. Bingo! The woman has now finally put the picture together for herself. Living water, it washes away sins. Living water, living water offers the forgiveness of sins. Living water looks, works just like that antiseptic, and it flushes away the infection. Living water flushes away death. It puts an end to it. Living water announces that forgiveness of sins, as I said. Living water gives eternal life. This Jesus is this living water that he's talking about here. I've moved through this story about Jesus and the Samaritan woman purposely overstepping and leaving on my desk several other applications that I could have because it seems to me that the best application of this text is really what comes outside of our text, right? I want to be able to tell you just like the old radio show guy, the rest of the story. So if we step beyond the end of our text in verse 26, and we step forward to verse 41, go home this afternoon and read it for yourself. We find out the eternal impact that this little event of Jesus, meeting this Samaritan woman, and the internal impact that it had on her, but also the eternal impact that it had also on the town in which we, she lived right? The woman went back to Sychar. She told seemingly everyone, maybe there were one or two people that didn't hear the news directly from her, her meeting with Jesus. These people in Sychar are so taken by her message, the story that she has just related about meeting this guy out at the well, out at Jacob's well, that the town comes out to the well to meet Jesus. And they talk to him, and they engage with him, and they invite him to stay a little longer. And Jesus does. He stays another two days. What do you think he was doing for those two days? Sitting in somebody's house translating Hebrew into Greek? No, he was talking to human beings and meeting them where they were at and having small talk with them. And that small talk moved into and led to something that was 
more meaningful, and it mattered. But Jesus then, John tells us the rest of the story as a result of him being invited to go and live in Sychar for two days. And because of his words, many more believers, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. One woman sharing the gospel message of Jesus Christ with a town full of people had an eternal impact on the souls of those people there. And then they come out and they meet the source of eternal life. They meet God himself, and the deal is sealed. Their eternal future has been changed forever. And you know what? It all started by Jesus having the desire to go out and meet one person and start him up with a little bit of small talk. And that small talk developed into a fire for the gospel that had eternal consequences for everyone that lived in that town. How much of a difference can one person make in the eternal future of another human being? Think about it for a minute. The Bible is loaded with answers to that question. When the Holy Spirit went to work on Moses, what happened? Plagues came from God ten times upon the people of Egypt. And Moses essentially was the instrument that wielded the power that altered people's lives, all to the glory of God. When the Holy Spirit worked through Elijah, Fire came down from heaven, revealing the one true God, who the real God was here, and then revealing who, who really won the day, all to the glory of God. When the Holy Spirit went to work through Joseph, or Joshua, Joshua circled Jericho with the people, with the people inside Jericho probably just laughing away at them, but eventually what happened? What God said would happen. The walls came crumbling down, all to the glory of God. When the Holy Spirit worked through Jesus, he went to this one woman, started up a seemingly simple and inane conversation about a cup of water with her, and entire towns spiritual future was changed and they became sons and daughters of the king. When the Holy Spirit is going to work through you and he will. Who knows how he is going to use you to leave some, lead someone to the well of salvation so that they know who the true God is. So that one day, right there next to you, shoulder to shoulder, with tears streaming down their eyes, their cheeks, they too are going to see the Lamb at the center of the throne and know, know that he is indeed their shepherd. 
the shepherd who has led them to streams, springs of living water, the shepherd who has wiped every tear from their eyes, all to the glory of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God is knowable, and he wants to be known. And he's relying on you to make him known to the world in which you live. All to the glory of God. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, it will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.